Welcome to That Mom Life. I'm Sarah Jordan, and I'm so excited to have my friend Jackie Zykan join me now. Jackie is one of my favorite people because her and the word Old Forester and Old Forester Bourbon go hand in hand because... That is how our relationship began over a mint julep. And I have to say, that's a magical way to start a relationship with someone. (laughs) (laughs) There's a better way to start a relationship with someone than that. So what is your official job title? I know obviously you work with Brown Foreman. I know you are specifically with Old Forester, but I know you have a very specific job title and I don't want to get it wrong. What are, what is your job position? I am the master taster Forester. The master taster of Old Forester. This is one of those jobs that people look at going, how in the world did you get there? That's an awesome job, which we will get to that. In fact, you're currently sitting in the Old Forester distillery in downtown Louisville right now. I am. And I mean, I'm here with a really slim production staff since we're still closed down for COVID. But um, I am here just looking over all the traffic flying by on Main Street, wishing they all could come in. But in due time. In due time. In due time. I'm so happy you are in the distillery. Old Forester redid a building on Whiskey Row. And in fact, wait, isn't that building part of the history of Old Forester? Yep. So this is the original location of Brown Foreman when it first started back in 1870. So we were here up until Prohibition, and then we had to condense spaces due to the concentrated warehouse law. And we moved down to where we're at today for our corporate headquarters down on Dixie Highway. But yeah, so we came back into our original home. It's nice to be here. It is absolutely amazing. And I want to talk about your career so much, but I always start off by like how I know people. And in this case, Jackie, I think you and I met, I can't remember if you came by to the studio or if it was actually Derby Week at Churchill Downs. I'm pretty sure it was probably in the studio first, but one of your jobs as Master Taster, clearly not only do you create cocktails, but you're also pretty much the face that is going out and showing people these things. And so you would come to the radio station and you were so vibrant and different from what I ever expected. And the fact that you were just a badass and you were just this female that walks through the door slinging bourbon and in the most fun way. And I was like, this is a person I want to be my friend. And then then we would have backside for Derby every week. We'd be out there freezing at freezing morning. Um, And I I will never forget the moment. I will never forget it because we were in the paddock area. It was raining as it always rains during Derby week at Churchill down. And we both kind of looked at each other and we were like, do you want to be friends? Like, (laughs) because when you work and you're a mom and you're just go, go, go all the time. I think that, that little slice of life can kind of fall to the wayside. Um, And we just had so much in common that it was like, why not? Exactly. And that's why I knew that you had to come join me at some point. I mean, there's only so many people that you can find in the pouring down rain, um, wearing the fanciest outfit and drinking bourbon before 7am. There's only so many people you can do that with. So, I mean, that's why I find you as an uh, amazing, wonderful person. So let's zoom back way back. So obviously you reside now here in Louisville bourbon country, but you are from St. Louis. I am. Yeah. So, um, coming up this August, I will have been here for 11 years, 12 years. I can't even keep it straight. I don't even know. I've been here long enough to be considered a Louisvillean. I've drank enough whiskey to be considered a Louisvillean. So yes, but I was in St. Louis up until that time. 
So you were, you grew up in St. Louis, then went to school in St. Louis. Yes. So completely born and raised, um, always lived there. I lived in Springfield, Missouri for a short tenure while I was going to Drury university and then moved back to St. Louis to finish up college. Um, but yeah, was nothing but a Missourian at that point. So when you went to college, what did you get? What did you go to school for? I studied biology and chemistry, and the original intention with all of that was to go into medicine. That was the goal. Um, I don't necessarily think that it was, I don't know. I, I When I look back on it, my motivations for doing it were so undeveloped, I guess, is the best way to describe it. It's sort of like, here are your options in life. You can go and do this job, like whatever the career cards are in the game of life, board game, you know, like here are your options. There are so many little intricacies that are out there that you're just never really aware of this job included, um, that you just, you know, and you make your path and then you go along with it and you're like, I do like it, but I don't like it. And you just, I don't know. I, I don't think you really know all options available to you when you're making those decisions. So the original path was to go into medicine. I, of course, worked as a bartender the entirety of my college career. And I also worked at the hospital as a nurse tech. And I worked at a veterinary clinic as a tech for kittens and puppies, which was... Oh, my gosh. Um, But I was just kind of trying to get a feel. And honestly, working in the hospital really made me realize that perhaps patient care wasn't necessarily my passion. It's not so much that I don't like people. It's just that the the mechanical beast that is healthcare just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. So I um, found myself kind of lost and was like, well, you know, I gotta continue on. So I applied to the Medical University of South Carolina for their post-grad pathology program. They take three people a year and I got in. I remember that phone call. I was at a soccer game and I remember crying. Like, I can't believe that I got into this program, but I had gotten married and um, he did not want to have a long distance relationship. And he was still filling up his schoolwork in St. Louis. And so I had to turn it down. And then I just kind of got lost. Totally. Okay, so I'm finding out things about you. So you were married. Did you guys get married young? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. Like 24, if that's oh. to get married these days. Eh. I don't know what the scale is anymore. Um, but yeah, we got married straight out of straight out of undergrad, and then he went on to school uh, to chiropractic school. And like I said, I kind of hit that point where I was like, well, now what do I do? What do I do with my hands? Uh, so I was like, well, why don't I just change it up? I'll try something completely different. So I went back to school at that point uh, to study interior design and just kind of let my creative side flow and got an internship with anthropology and got an internship with a designer in St. Louis. She was amazing. And one week later, after securing that, he got a job offer in Louisville. So it was like, just throw your hands up and get in the car and move. We had 48 hours before he had work. So we just went, I had never been here before. I mean, it was the greatest move of all time, right? Cause now I'm here now living this amazing life in Louisville. But at the time it was absolutely terrifying. I, so, okay. <laughs> you went to school to go to, to, you have a degree in biology and chemistry, biology and chemistry. You were going to go to postgrad to continue your medical degree. You were a bartender, then got an interior design degree. How many degrees do you have now? <laughs> well, I never finished the interior design workup because that was out of a school in St. Louis. And 
Um, when I moved to Louisville, I went to Sullivan to just kind of take a peek at what their program was because I do love it. And it's honestly, it's really weird. It's one of those things where, you know, people ask you all the time, like, oh, if, if money wasn't an option or if you could do whatever you want, what would you do? And I would absolutely go back to it. I, this is going to be the cheesiest thing I say in this entire interview. And that's probably inaccurate as well. But I just love to be in a beautiful space and I'm a Libra and that's just kind of my zone. And so I don't know. It just makes me happy. Like I could sit there with paint chips all day long and just be happy. Uh, carpet samples, do it. Let's do the thing. But I digress. Yeah. So I end up in Louisville and I've got all of this stuff and nowhere to go and nowhere to be and don't know a single person here except for the person I was married to. So, <laughs> so you came to Louisville and he had a job when he got here. And where did you first start getting your foot in the door here in Louisville? Like, where did you start either making friends or finding a career path? Well, the hotel that we stayed at those first, uh, the first day and a half or so while we were trying to find a place to live, um, I remember there was an article and in that article, there was this beautiful, beautiful Asian girl shaking a cocktail and it was a spread about 732 social and back in St. Louis at that time, like the bartending I had done back then was more club. It was more sports bar. It was high volume. It wasn't craft by any means, but I remember these beautiful photos and seeing it and being like, wow, that's new. That's fresh. Like this is 11 years ago. Y'all like, this is like craft bars were just starting to, to creep in, in the Midwest and the South. So, um, I don't know. I remember seeing it being like, I want to do that. That looks awesome. I always had fun bartending. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to get back into bartending and that's going to be my way in to just have something to do with myself because I really didn't have a purpose in being here. The school program with Sullivan was going to be too much money. It wasn't really what I wanted to do. I had worked with a lady who was out of interior designer here for a couple shadows just to get a lay of the land and kind of get my foot in that door. And it just, I don't know. I think it all falls apart when you're not supposed to do it. That's kind of the, the beauty of life is that it will guide you where you're supposed to be. You just have to trust it. So I went back into bartending and I was actually working at this like little neighborhood bar in bar off of a uh, Bartstown road. And this, came out about this restaurant group opening and they were opening a big whiskey bar and I knew my whiskey knowledge was very limited coming from St. Louis we had like three options and then every flavored vodka and beer that was St. Louis at the time and I got to Louisville and was like what the hell is all this stuff like what is I mean I was a scotch drinker every now and then I really wasn't a heavy drinker at all like at that point though but bourbon was completely unfamiliar to me and I just kind of made it a mission. I was going to learn about it. I applied for this job at a place called Doc Crows that was opening up down on Whiskey Row. And I applied for a job as a bartender there and they hired me. And after the fact, they admitted that when they hired me, they were like, well, we decided we were going to put you on a host position and maybe give you a shift here and there. But within a couple of weeks, I was assigned bar manager, just kind of going through the training and rising above and working my ass off. Um, so that's kind of where that all started. 
So you got your footing here in Louisville, obviously, by getting a job as a bartender. Because, I mean, and I've talked about this with somebody else before, Louisville is a very friendly place. It's more, it's a little bit more Southern. But at the same time, a lot of the people here have grown up together and they know each other and they can connect back to childhood or someone's relative. So when you get here, you have to figure out a way, like how to make your little place in the world. So... I mean, becoming a bartender, getting involved in that scene, obviously seeing new people all the time. At what point did your position from being a bartender at a restaurant change your path to working with one of like the most well-known liquor company? <laughs> I know it's very insane. If you really like what now as we're like spelling it out, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That's where I came from. Um well, so that restaurant group was doing well and they decided to open a second place, a French restaurant. And I thought, well, this is exciting because now I can kind of hone in on my French wine knowledge and aperitifs and things of that sort. Um, and it just grew to be an opportunity at Blind Right where I proposed to them, why don't you make me a beverage director and I'll oversee both bars? Oh, okay, great pay you anymore but you can do twice the work cool do the thing. Oh, cool. so um it just kind of continued from there and then every time they opened a new concept like they opened a restaurant down in nashville so then i went with them to open that one and oversaw all of them so i just kept adding on and kept saying yes but being at dot crows and being in the middle of downtown louisville and it being a massive whiskey bar you've got different brands that host people in from out of town all the time and also they're out to lunch and they're here for, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it was just little ask by little ask, like Heaven Hill would come in and say, hey, we've got this group coming in for dinner. Can you come up with like a cocktail recipe for us for this dinner to feature? Okay, sure. I got you. Oh, okay, great. Cocktail was great. Did a good job. Uh, well, we have this event coming up. Do you think that you could come and make cocktails at this event? Yeah, okay, I got you. Oh, well, we're going to be on the news talking about the event. Can you go on the news and talk about it? Uh, that's terrifying, but yeah, okay, I'll do it. And so it was just little by little, I was actually getting firsthand experience into the role that I'm living in right now. Um, and so I just kind of grew a name for myself. I did work for, for, Hill, for Woodford, for Jack Daniels. I was a brand ambassador for St. Germain. I did opening work on the marketing team for Copper and King's Brandy. I just couldn't stop. And then one day my name came up as a suggestion in a meeting at Brown Foreman because Old Forcer was growing so much and it was bartenders that were growing the brand. And they said, we need someone that can speak bartender, but that can also understand the production side because the general consumer is so educated now. Who are we going to get and make sure that they show up on time? And everyone in the room, there was Wendy, who I worked with on a Four Roses project. There was Adam, who I worked with on a Woodford project. There was Artie, I worked with on a Jack project. Every, it, everything aligned perfectly. And everyone was like, you have to call Jackie. They did. And I met Campbell Brown for an old fashioned. And uh, the rest is history. Here we are. I love me a good old fashioned. I mean, lovely things can happen over a good old fashioned. Very so, um, what is going on with your personal life while you're going through all these motions and continuing to climb your own career ladder now in a completely different career field than what you went to school for? Um, well, it was brutal. I mean, there's sort of that the one piece of being here in Louisville and not having a purpose and trying to make shift a purpose for myself and growing in sort of my own independent way and putting in about 100 hours of work a week at a restaurant um, really was quite divisive for that marriage. And I don't know, like 
he's an amazing human. He really is. And there's no bad blood there. I don't think anyways, but it just kind of was part of the same thing that I was doing when I was like, Oh, I'm going to be a doctor. It's like, Oh, well you get married. Cause that's what you do. And then you have kids. Cause that's what you do. We struggled with that part of it all. And there was just a lot of stress on it and it broke. And so, uh, right after we got divorced, I met my son's father and then all of that, but it's just, it's been a wild, wild mess of just trying to take everything day by day and learning to not have a plan. That's I hate that I'm saying that because plans are great. I'm a very type A person, but I am way, 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 way type A where I need to pull it back a little bit and just flow with things sometimes. So you just have to trust it all. Yeah. So you, you divorced your husband. And then you met your son's father and your son is now six. Yes. He'll be seven in December. So he's getting there. Oh, our sons are this. Is he in first grade? Yeah, he is. Okay. Then we both have first grade sons. <laughs> I thought my son turned seven in, or in August, but I, I figured again, this is why you and I clicked in the sense that we had kids around the same age. Our career paths would eventually intersect with each other here, there and everywhere. So what is it like for you being a single mom? Um, it's terrifying. It's, <laughs> I love Bennett with all of my heart and he is my number one priority, but it is freaking hard y'all. Like I'm in a city where I don't have family here for support. I obviously, so his dad and I ended up getting married and then we ended up splitting up living that Liz Taylor lifestyle, I guess. I'm just like, like, like the divorce attorneys just know me by name. That's so sad. I shouldn't say that about myself, but it's just been a brutal ride. Um, it's really, really hard. And when I have him, it is every single thing is on you. There is no one. You can't just say, Oh, Hey honey, can you run to the store and get this? It's, are we all going to go and do the thing? Blah, blah, blah. Every meal is on you. Every, errand is on you. Every single thing is just you. There is no one there to support whatsoever. And then you have the guilt complex where if you have something going on during your days with your kid that you don't want to give up that precious time because you only have them 50% of the time. So then you don't ever get babysitters. Uh, everything has to be scheduled around a custody schedule for work, for travel, for life in general. Um, and it's brutal. And like right now during COVID, oh my God, it's, <laughs> I'm trying my best to not lose it, but oh my gosh, it, it, there's not a day that we don't end up in tears at some point, whether it's from NTI or from me working from home while doing his homeschool stuff while condensing everything and just, there's no boundaries. Everything is just a, a, I don't know if I'm allowed to say shit show, but I'm going to say a shit show. You can say shit show. It's okay. <laughs> No, because I'm pretty sure that's like the proper definition of 2020. So at this point, I think it's okay. And I think that's been the hardest part of 2020. Obviously, the, well, the 2020 is hard for everything. But when you're working from home, you've got school going from home. Typically, being a working parent means you go to work and you work, you come home and you parent. But when they're on top of each other in simultaneous, they're is no break. And I know that sometimes I tell my husband at the end of the night, I'm like, 
I'm like collapsing in bed because there hasn't been a break throughout the day in a time when my brain is not trying to focus on doing my job. Are the kids okay? Are they doing their schoolwork? Does the baby need a nap? Does the baby need milk? I feel guilty. I'm stuck in this meeting. Can they hear the baby crying in the background? Oh my gosh, I hear another kid crying. Are they hurt? But I'm in a conference call. Should I go check? Like you usually don't have to think all those thoughts at once. No. And it's the quick switch back and forth. It's very rare anymore more that you have just a chunk of time to really get creative, to really go through thought processes, to even calm down because it's, okay, he's in class, he's doing this, he gets stuck on something, he accidentally closed out the window, I'm on a call, I got to stop exactly what I'm doing with that call, get over there, help him, come back to it, do this, do that, I got people coming to the, just, I, I can't even express that's that voice that ooh, that's the best way I can describe it. I'm pretty sure my kids have heard me say that ooh, at least once a day because you're exactly right. The other day I'm in the middle of doing something. I hear mom, mom, mom. And then my son couldn't figure out his password because he switched computers that he was working on from home. I'm running up the stairs. Now he's late for class. And I think that's literally the noise I made at him, which is. Ooh. Yes. It's, there is, like I said, there are no boundaries. That compartmentalization that we used to rely on so heavily of like, okay, now we're in work mode. Now we're in parent mode. Now we're in school mode. Now, no, it's just all modes all the time, no matter what. And it is brutal. Well, and the other thing that I think is so just odd about it all. You go to work and you've got your work friends, you've got your real life personal friends, your teachers are at school, but now with virtual learning, your teachers are in the house. You can see other kids at home. When you're in calls with other people from work doing virtual conferences, now they're in your house Mm -hmm. and all those boundaries are completely gone. Oh, entirely. It's so weird. Like virtual tastings and people like across the country are are across the world. Like that's the other thing is that we used to travel to do these things. Right. And so then you end up in on West coast time. So then everything is on West coast time. No, right now it's 8am start doing stuff. And then it goes until 10pm because you're having to span across time zones for this job. Anyways, there's times I have to get up at three in the morning to do trainings in Australia for their time zone. So it's just, it's a lot and it just doesn't stop. The barrel program was being run out of my house for a long time. Cause we're trying to stay out of the distillery as much as possible. So I got st- like, we're having dinner and I'm like shoving cases of whiskey off to the side to make space for a plate. Like it's just <laughs> it's everywhere. I can't get away from it. Like I have an infestation of spiders in my garage from the spiders in the warehouse, making their way through the cases. Like, there are no lines anymore. Everything is all this one big sludge of everything all at once. So I agree with you because I've been running my promotions office out of my current office. And I'm like looking around and like, there's a kid's school book. There's tickets that need to be given away. There's a banner. Like it's all just in my office. Things are getting mailed to my house now. And I'm just mailing things from here. Um, so as a job of master taster, just to define what that means, you're not just sitting around and sipping bourbon all day. I mean, clearly that's a part of your job um, as the official or as as the master taster for Old Forester. But what is your job? (laughs) What's your job? Well, that's part of my job. Is that what you said? Uh, No, it's it's just funny, like to hear it. Like, so what would you say you do here? Um, Yes, tasting is part of it. Um, 
and people, like you said, there's this perception that it's like you just, you're drinking bourbon all day. You're never drinking bourbon. You're spitting out bourbon all day, I guess is more accurate, but new product development takes liquid analysis as well. Um, PR opportunities like this, I still have the side of my job that speaks to the marketing, global marketing role. Um, so when we develop new platforms and new um, training booklets and things like that, that all falls on me. We got a photo shoot for new cocktails. They want to do something on Pinterest. That's also part of it. And we have a line of licensed products that are cocktail mixers that I'm responsible for as well. Um, it's all over the place. <laughs> it's everywhere. Single barrel tastings are taking up most of my time anymore just because everything has had to shift to being shipped out samples instead of people coming and drilling into barrels with us. So that is just across the board all over the place. Um, it is, it's everything. It's, I'm on sensory panels for quality control that still have to get done. So I still have to come in and out and go back and forth uh, from home to here. But for the most part, like no day is the same. This morning, I, I just got back from the warehouse before I came here and then I'll be here until I've got some seminar I'm leading with Moonshine University. I don't know. And then something after that, it's so. Do you think your chemistry degree has come into play now? Well, one hundred percent, absolutely. But the thing about that is that I don't know. From my perspective, anyways, and how I've applied it in my life, is it has given me the best foundational structure for all of this. I can sit there and I can think things through and think innovation through in a different way than those who are unfamiliar with that territory of study, but. Um, chemistry was there as part of the foundation of me making cocktail strategies as well. So it's always been there. And then of course, because we don't have enough going on, I started my own skincare line. And so that's sort of where my creative juice says, yeah, my creative juice goes through that. And that's all chemistry driven as well. So Jackie, what do you mean you started your own skincare line? <laughs> so here's the deal. I was traveling 50% of the time. And so my face, like I would look at a picture of myself and be like, I don't look the same anymore <laughs> between the booze and the travel and the stress and just life in general. I was looking really tired. And so it was damn near impossible for me to find things that were going to be clean ingredients that were going to be sustainable, compostable or reusable packaging that actually had transparency to them. And so I was like, screw it. I'm doing it myself. <laughs> so I start this skincare line and it is, it's awesome. I'm, I'm loving it. It's just through e-commerce at the moment. I mean, if you're in Louisville, I'm happy to like bring you stuff, but um, yeah, it's called wildfire. The whole reason for that was just, I reached a point where I realized I have to learn how to let things go in order to move forward. And so that is what all of this is. Work was so stressful. I felt out of control because I'm in a corporate environment. I needed something that I could kind of own and no one could tell me no to. So it came out in that. That's how it manifested. I I don't know how I missed the fact that you launched your own skincare line. I think it is absolutely incredible. Huh? Because it's tiny. It's like a side hustle. It's like a thing. I don't know. Well, honestly, like that's part of the thing of why I started a podcast this year, even though, yes, it's related to my job. But 
for me, this was just something I needed as an outlet, even though sometimes I'm like, I need to schedule that. That's going to be another this amount much work, but I got to get it done. But at the same time, it is kind of a happy place that I control. And so yes. I understand in all the crazy, it's like, let's add some more work, but it's not as much work as it is something that I need for my own brain. Yes. So the fact that your educational background is so vast. I mean, I obviously know you're a very smart woman, but I mean, like, hearing this for sure, and it's proven on paper. Um, it's incredible because when I hear you talk about bourbon and it's, you're not just mixing a cocktail, you're not a bartender. You are somebody who has done the years of work, the prep. I mean, you're sitting in the distillery right now. And I mean, it almost looks like a chemistry lab behind you based on what I remember from your office. Yes. And I've added on to my office now too. So that room that you are familiar with the Atherton room, is next to it, but we did build, we built a wall. Um, and now I have an actual desk and I have my beautiful rug and I have space where I can actually think and get things done. So it's really nice. You've gotten yourself into such a fun place. And, um, again, you, you, like you said, you're doing so many different things that when you hear the word master taster, that's why I wanted you to find it because it's, again, you're not just sitting around sipping a bourbon, spitting it back out, testing this barrel. Again, that is something that you do, but there's also so many other parts. For instance, when the entire world's eyes are on the city of Louisville for the Kentucky Derby, you're representing mint juleps. I mean, you are physically dressed as a mint julep. I know it's so funny, but like, and, and like, I look back on it, I'm like, never in my life did I think I was gonna like end up in Louisville, Kentucky, wearing a a, a creative interpretation of a julep in the form of a derby dress, like on CNN. Like, this is insane. Like, this is life. It just takes you, I guess. Yes, and there's something else unique about you too is that on your body, you have dedicated spaces to your craft. I you have the coolest tattoos. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I had to get that julep tattoo. That was the first derby I ever was actually able to go to um, because I always worked, you know, when you're in the bar industry in Louisville, like that, that's your money time. So you never go to the track. So I never went. And like I started my derby tenure the right way with being credentialed under Brown Foreman and able to just get a full experience of it. How many, don't you have multiple bourbon tattoos? Don't you have an old fashioned tattooed as well? I got an old fashioned too. I got that one when Churchill picked up the, um, the perfect old fashioned syrup that I created and made the old fashioned, the official drink of Thurby. Uh, I got that tattoo to sort of commemorate that moment, but I'm covered. I don't know. I went through a span when I was younger of like, can't get enough of them. And now I'm like, can't cover them up enough. And then it just turns into one big tattoo. I don't know how many tattoos I have. I just think one, they're all connected at a certain point. (laughs) (laughs) I remember specifically the julep and the old fashioned because one is on your forearm, isn't it? Yeah. They're both on my arm. Yeah. They're right there front and center for you. You're making me very thirsty for an old fashioned. Not going to lie. That is one of my favorite beverages. And you, when you make it with your mixer, it is truly just perfect. <laughs> um, and, and the year of 2020, I think actually old forester has been probably me and my husband's drink of choice throughout the year. Um, but so I, and every time I'm like, ah, oh, Jackie. So you are the master taster of old forester. 
and you're working your butt off for old brown foreman from your house right now with with don't tell people where you live you've got product in your house so risk management has already told me like you have to stop talking about the barrel samples they're no longer <laughs> exodus has occurred and they are now at the distillery because i couldn't take it anymore i needed to be able to sit down and have dinner with my son and not be confronted by cases of booze that needed analysis on them. Like it was just too much. I had to make that choice. I completely, completely understand. I mean, heck, I'm not even doing that. And the other day, my my son walked by the sink. He goes, why does the sink smell like bourbon? And I was like, how do you know that that's that smell? Like, <laughs> I've got questions. Um, what, what do you think is next for you on your path? I mean, yes, your side hustle skincare line. I mean, what is the next progression for you? Um, well, I mean, I am, I'm in a good spot with like one of the best companies you could possibly work for. Very true. There. Um, and I'm very, very grateful to even have a job right now in this environment. I know it sounds like all I've done is complain about how stressed out I am, but You know, everybody's battle is different, but I am very, very grateful because they've been so flexible and so, so accommodating to everybody during all of this. So huge props to them. So I'm here. I mean, Old Forester is my brand. It's a brand I believe in. It's, you know, it's one of those very unique brands that you don't have to sell a marketing story with. It's just we make the best quality liquid that we can and we do the right thing because you should. So I'm with them for the long haul. Next step specifically, I don't know if I can say those without trouble. You'll have to tell me later. Off, oh, off you'll, record. You'll, know. you'll be one of the first to know. But, I mean, um, I will say that you just touched on something that I think a lot of people are experiencing. Clearly, there are so many people without jobs. And um, I, every single industry has been affected in some way by 2020. And... There have been people furloughed, laid off. Some people have gotten to come back to work. Some companies are adjusting to working from home. Some are already saying they're working from home till next June. I feel because we've had, um, like a lot of other companies, we've had layoffs this year and I'm lucky to still be standing. But I feel like those people with a job, they almost have survivor's guilt in the sense that whether it's their coworkers are gone or they have friends that have lost their job, it's you're now taking on more work than ever. And you feel guilty for complaining because you know, people have lost their job, but like in all reality, you are really stressed out. You do have a lot going on. So it's just a very, very strange environment right now. And it's like, I, it's, it's very real to feel stressed and feel guilty all at the same time and yet grateful you have a job yet also wishing you had the help back, but understanding the situation, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. And you know, with no, this, I, this is going to sound so doomsday, but it, there's no end in sight and no one has an answer for what's going to come next. And so that sort of unknown element for someone, I know the way I am wired, I need a little bit of like, foresight into things. Like I need to feel comfortable and know what's happening. I feel very out of control with it. I'm sure a lot of people will hear this are in the same boat. Just you don't know. And it changes constantly. And you're having to adapt, 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 adapt every single day. And it's, yeah, it's not. I agree with you in the sense that I'm a type A and my job is to forecast and plan ahead. And even just for my kids and not like work aside and not being able to do that 1000% is the most difficult thing. So trying to retrain your brain to just handling right now. Mm -hmm. And 
I mean, when you and I first started talking, you were like, you seem very positive about everything. And I was like, well, that's the mood I woke up in today because <laughs> today so far it is fine. And I haven't thought much past that. <laughs> um, and just trying to keep myself back in those moments. And it's so hard because I've tried to retrain my brain again, not to get my hopes up on things. Because I find that if I get my hopes up on something and it can be something so small and silly, I get so much more disappointed because I feel like those hopeful moments are more fleeting now. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I almost don't let myself feel it until it's actually happening. So I know that it can't get canceled. I can totally see that. I mean, that's, that's kind of, you submit to it and it's just kind of where you have to be because trying to fill in the blanks and put structure around it is just... Ugh, you're, you're adding onto the stress load that, that, that disappointment feeling just adds on to it. It really is this whole thing for you and I and other people out there that are type a, and that like to just have things very buttoned up and a little bit more rigidity to them. Like it is, it is definitely a learning and I'm sure it's a learning that we all needed and we're very grateful for it, but Oh my God, like, oh, I don't <laughs> Not to get all doomsday on you at all, but th just to be completely um, transparent, that's exactly right. I mean, it is just one of those things where it's like, at some point, I, I'm starting to hate the word normal because what that implies, I don't even know anymore. And if we'll ever yeah. get certain parts back and will they look differently, but will we be better people? Who knows? No one knows. So that's why I'm living in right now and trying not to get stressed out about things that were from a couple days ago, last week, trying to figure out something that's six months from now, I can't, it's impossible. So no. in the meantime, I'm, I'm really trying to focus on can control what you can control. And I know that's such a cliche saying, control what you can control and let go of what you can, because I hate that phrase, or we'll figure it out later, or we'll just figure it out. I hate that phrase because I'm like, you're not actually figuring it out right now. You're just pushing it off to later. Um, but in some cases, that's all you can do. And so I'm glad that I'm not the only type A over here going, ah, <laughs> no, you're definitely not. But like, as you mentioned earlier, when you set that expectation or when you have this perceived quote unquote normal, whatever it means anymore in your mind, or just, or even like, this is how I expect things to be or any of it you're introducing an opportunity for deficit because everything is so out of your control right now that you just, I mean, it's a one in a million shot that things are going to align the way you want them to and just letting go of that. But then you get the other frustrations, right? Of the people that are not necessarily type A that, and I'm, I'm not saying everyone isn't struggling their own way. Everyone is struggling in their own way with this, but we only have our own perspective. And so you see other people that are sitting back and you're like, well, I'm still trying to type A my way through this and still do 10 million things. But everyone else is like, well, no one can really see if I'm working or not. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of like, you know. Oh, don't. <laughs> I know the most frustrating part of it is this like perception that we, I think it is so important for us all to remember every single person right now, no matter what, no matter where, no matter who is also struggling and that we have to let that be what connects us right now is just shared struggle. It really has to. It has to be. I, I, t I totally believe that. And I've heard a lot of people use the word, um, give each other grace. And yeah. because of that exact same thing, or obviously like you were talking about Brown Foreman understands that if you've got Bennett, you're trying to keep 
him in doing his NTI learning and make sure he's on track while doing your job. You may have to stop. You may have to schedule around this, 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 because you are a mom, you have to do it. Like, I'm glad to see that a lot of companies are shifting the way that they have thought from the, the past understanding of how crucial that balance now is because it's in your home. So it's not like, oh, I'm at work, I'm working and then I'll go home and I'm home. No, it's all together now. So there is no taking a break or focusing on this or that. Um, so I totally think that giving each other grace is one of my favorite things that I think people have learned to do to each other in 2020. So just to bring it back to you just a little bit more, I know you're getting ready to go lead a, a lovely seminar. What do you, do you find people approaching you, asking you questions like, how do I get into a career like yours? Or what would you, what advice would you give me if I wanted to someday end up in a job like you? Yes, I get asked this all the time because, again, we are only equipped with our own perspective. And so looking at my job from the outside, it's like, oh, you just get to drink whiskey all the time. Like, it's not that. Once you've taken something that was uh, recreational and turned it into profession, your relationship with it completely changes. You're the one person in the room that's never allowed to be drunk because your face is associated with a brand. If you go and do something stupid, it looks bad on the brand. You know what I mean? So like completely understand what you mean. <laughs> um, so there's that part of it, but any more, and there's so many people and I, I see all these different educational programs popping up and like some of them are certified through universities and some of them are just kind of random and, Everyone thinks like, oh, well, I need to have this, this sort of, I need this certification on it. I need to have this. I need to study this and I need to do this and I need to learn all these things. You don't need to do anything of any sort like that. What you need to do is be open to opportunities that really make you happy. It doesn't, maybe you're not going to end up in bourbon. Maybe you think the idea of you working in whiskey or working in alcohol, bourbon specifically, sounds like a dream cool, do it. But be very, very cautious of how you project that job to actually be and what it actually is. And I would not trade my job for the world. But also, I'm not a person that, you know, was like in grade school, drawing pictures of myself in a barrel warehouse, like one day I'm gonna be a master teacher, like didn't think it was even an option. So I just went with the flow. And I went with things that I was naturally gifted at and went forth from there. And then I honestly do think if you just focus more so on what is making you happy and what you're passionate about and what you find rewarding, you're going to find this current that will carry you no matter what. When everything's an uphill battle and a fight, 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 take it as a sign that maybe you're, you know, adjust your trajectory a little bit. Um, yes, the educational background that I have has helped me in the current position I have. Yes, it would help if you were going to, you know, just put down on paper what was going to be a requirement for a position like this. But people in this industry come from all over the place. We've got tons of people that have like a psychology degree. There's lots of people that work in these sort of face of the brand roles that were actors or that were stand up comedians. And now they're talking whiskey to people like it is all over the board. Um, but if you want to work in production, then definitely you're going to have to go into chemical engineering and that sort of thing. But those production roles are not the same necessarily as the roles where you're also being put into the spotlight of the media necessarily. Um, 
So it's kind of just do your research on it. But my best advice to everybody and what I've just started telling everyone is just don't worry about trying to get into whiskey. Just worry about doing something that makes you happy, no matter how weird or wacky that is. Just feel empowered to follow what actually speaks to you, not what it looks like is cool from the outside. Um, so, yeah, every job's going to have its struggles. Trust me. It's all going to be stressful no matter what you do. Um, but, yeah, but it is nice to have whiskey with it. <laughs> I think that's a perfect way to end that. I I completely agree with you. I actually just recently had a discussion with my cousin who's a freshman in college and he called me trying to figure out his major. And he was like, well, I mean, I looked at these jobs and these jobs, they make more money. And I was like, do you like that? No. I mean, it sounds terrible, but look at the money. And I was like, you've got to step back. And I was like, you will find your own hustle. None of these jobs are guaranteed to give you money, to give you happiness. You have to A, figure out a way to make your own money and create your own hustle and you will figure it out that way. Um, and, and no matter what field you're in, if you're driven by money and you want to make it, you will. Um, so I'm so I'm so glad that you uh, share those same sentiments because I think sometimes people think that I'm going to go to school and I'm going to get my degree and I'm going to walk out of school and I'm going to go get that job and make $60,000. And it's like, probably not. But I I mean, I'm sure if anybody listening in on this was part of the graduating class of 2008, like I was, you think that you think you're going to get out of school. Like, Like life happens, like life just happens to you. And then all of a sudden there's some sort of like economic downturn and there are no jobs. So where's your plan at then? Then you're just sitting there with a bunch of knowledge of something. You will find your own way. You just have to learn how to listen to what naturally feels right to you. Yes, 100%. And that is exactly what I preach people to. I'm like, you've got to find a passion. And then you will figure out the rest from there. Exactly. Um, You don't even have to figure out the how the how. That's the biggest hurdle for everyone is worrying about the how and putting the steps. There is no how the how just happens. Just identify it. And just you'll see where you spend your time. Exactly. Well, Jackie, I cannot wait until you and I are back at Churchill Downs or just actually having dinner with each other when we're not working and able just to enjoy a cocktail together that is not work related. And I cannot wait to see you soon. In the meantime, I'm right here with you with the virtual learning mom life. And if you need anything or need someone to call and just scream into the phone, I got it. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to That Mom Life. Make sure to subscribe now and leave a rating.